Well, who's your God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's three for humans. That's how he's for humans. Well, how does he do it? If I knew, I'd have this job. <laughs> yeah. I can't explain God. I can follow him. Look at Job. Right? What was God's answer to Job? Job's like, Lord, I don't get it. And God's like, can you do what I do? No. Then you don't need to get it. You need to follow me. I don't understand why my dad, when I was a kid, I didn't understand why he knew that. Turns out the orange glowing thing could hurt me. That's why I was doing that. The Trinity is just one of those things. We are like, well, what is it? It's like, is what we end up saying. It's like this. We try to give images. In the end, the one I always use, and I stole this from Dr. Reardon, superstar action figure, Tyson said. This is a guy who, did you notice, he would cry when he was teaching us sometimes. What he was teaching us, that dude, would just so move him. And when you're sitting there in the classroom, and the man, yeah, anyway, he says, you have the Father, and he is constantly pouring all of himself into the Son and the Holy Spirit, but he's never empty. Because the Son is constantly pouring himself into the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he's never empty. Because the Holy Spirit is kind of, this is how he explained it, right? And he said it is a dynamic of love and giving. And then St. John Paul II, right? Uh, man, uh, he, he says that the, at heart, the Trinity is a mystery of love and a mystery of community. Right? Isn't that cool? A mystery of love and a mystery of community. A community of love. A community of and this dynamic of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this dynamic pouring out and emptying self, that's what created us. Right? That has to create. That dynamic makes life. Just like when two humans do that. Right? When two humans become one in body and pour themselves into the other, life can happen. Hardwired into our spiritual DNA is community. It's why we do it. Um, I think the hardest part for me in seminary was the best part, which was the other people. I loved them, and they drove me nuts. And they loved me, and I drove them nuts. Right? Although we're here perfect, we know the people we live with weren't. Uh, that, that there is something, I remember uh, Father Dan Trapp, I went to confession one time because I had sinned, it was so weird. Uh, and I told him about this seminarian who drives me nuts. I mean, drives me nuts, and back home we deal with that in a very specific way that seminary does not allow. <laughs> and uh, he, you know, challenged me, prayed with me, and then I started to believe the true story, and I said, oh, you, you forgot my penance. And he quoted, I think, St. Benedict, this was 30 years ago. He said, the communal life is penance enough. Mm -hmm. right? The communal life is penance enough. Isn't that funny? Is that true? Mm -hmm. Is that Benedict? This would be a group that knows. It's somebody dead. Uh, <laughs> unless their first name is Saint. That would be a good move, actually, if you had a kid named it Saint. <laughs> So this dynamic of love and life, is, it's, it's our origin, so it's in us. And even though community drives us nuts, we need it. 
craving um, and we are the worst obstacle to it uh, because we are broken, right? we're, we're sinners. And if you ever read C.S. Lewis's book, um, God in the Dock, he has this chapter called The Problem with X. And this is one of those chapters where he has his left hand out here and you look and then he just pops you with his right, yeah. He told a story that he said was true that when he was a prof, he had a person in his department who, in his words, this is a great phrase, all of my dreams for the department shipwrecked on this person, right? Uh, all of my dreams for what we could be shipwrecked on this person. And he said, every day I come home from work and I would tell my wife the trouble with X. This guy is a yeah, I can't stand him. He can't stand me. He sees things wrong, blah, blah, blah. And, and he said, one day I said to her, I don't know how he lives like this. And she said, Clive, you know somebody has this conversation with their wife every day about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody who you work with goes home every day. And it's like, so-and-so drives me nuts. All my friendship. That part of community is our recognition that I'm the only obstacle to community that I can control. And that I'm called to control. I am the only obstacle to community that I am called to control. And all this about fixing those people, that's a diversion tactic right from hell. If I'm insane, they don't need to have it together. It'd be great if they did. God calls us as people in this community to recognize that in this community, I'm the problem. Or at least the only one I can control. And there's lots of reasons for that. Some of it is we don't know what we don't know. Yeah? My dad nailed me with that one time. Son, you don't know what you don't know. That's a problem, right? That we, that's got to be part of our factor. That's got to be part of the equation is, I don't know what's going on in your head. I know what would be going on in my head if I did what you did. But that's it. And when we accuse people about their motives, all we're revealing is our motives. I don't know if it's theirs or not. I just shared this story uh, two Sundays ago. <laughs> it's a true story that was one of the best things I ever saw. Uh, I was at um, St. Gerard, and St. Gerard's big crosstown rival was St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah? And uh, it was fifth grade girls basketball, which if ever someone says to explain purgatory to me, <laughs> take them to fifth grade girls basketball. It is about 14 hours of basketball for a final score of two to three. Now, it's awful. And you don't go because you love basketball, you go because you love those little squeakers. That's why you go. And if you love basketball, you should not go. So my buddy Bill is coach of the team, and he is matching with these little angels. I, he just had a way, and he's a dad of four girls. 
Um, and he asked me, will you come pray with the girls before the game and sit behind the bench? Sure. Now, uh, this was my first, second year as a priest. I'd never been to a kid's basketball game outside of Flint. And Flint is its own thing. This was suburb, suburb people. And it turns out they're very serious about this. And that was the first thing that blew me away. These parents arguing with refs. I'm like, nobody's going to make a basket. It's okay if the ref blows the ball, right? Uh, you know, oh, my God. Guys, I, I literally gave a homily on that two weeks later, and I said, folks, if you have this passion about Jesus, we can run. We can just retire and go home to God. But anyway, uh, so we get to the end of the game. I, I promise this is true. And we are up five to four. And there's like 10 seconds left. And we have a ball. So coach calls the girls in, right? And I'm behind it and I'm listening. You know, I'm, I'm all in this. And he says, girls, we got the ball. We, we don't need a basket. Because you know at that age, they touch the ball and they shoot it, right? It's just, if it touches their hands, what? They throw it out. And he's like, we don't need a basket. But he said, so we're going to hold on to that ball, girls. Remember, we do not need a basket. We're going to inbound it. We don't need it. So when I handed out the ball, then bounced to a little girl named Danny who got it and threw it toward the blue. <laughs> and I mean, she didn't have the ball in her hands 0.7 seconds. And it missed the rim. It missed the gym. It, just, it was absorbed into some black hole, and we never saw it again. Celibate guys, you know, we, we have no idea. And parents like Bill's just, okay, you know, and he's keeping his cool. And I'm in my head going, he said 37 times. <laughs> right? We don't need a basket. But he's keeping his cool, and he's like, he does that thing that parents I see do. Okay, all right, let's talk about this. Yeah. Get around and he says, okay, girls, now, what happened? Do you remember? We don't need a basket. I swear, Annie went, well, that wasn't going in. <laughs> you know, uh, in her little head, she was like, I need a basket on here. We don't need a basket. I should be shooting. <laughs> if you think about it, it's a reasonable conclusion. Yes. <coughs> we don't know what's in people's heads. And so when, we, when people do something where we do that, like my dog, when you turn on a fan, right? If you're on my dog, it does this. Right? I do that all the time. People will do something, and I'm like, I don't know why. I know why I would have done that. But I can't give that too much value. Because all I know is why I would have done it. I don't know why they did it. I'm the biggest obstacle in the community. Because I keep trying to fix other people in the community. Instead of letting Jesus do the work inside of me. The only thing he gave me to control. The only thing. Father Ken McKenna um, one time told me, I, I was my third year teaching high school, and I had uh, told the students, on Friday, I'm going to give you a task, there's going to be five questions, and number five is going to look like this. Faith is, and then I'm going to blend. And you're going to write the evidence of what is hoped for, wait, faith is, the realization of what is hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. I said, that's what you're going to write. And then I wrote it on the board. And then I said, truly, you write it. 
So they all wrote what faith is, the realization of what is hoped for, and the evidence of things unseen. I wrote it on the board. I had them all say that. I had them write it. And then I said it again. I said, that's only number five. That's going to be the question. There's no trickery here. 30% got it right. 30%. And I'm like, I have to kill two of them. And that was all I could think of, right? Maybe like as a warning, right? Just pick the two weakest. And I'm like, what do you do with this? And I called Father Ken, who had been teaching high school since Jesus was tiny. And I said, bro, and I told him this story. I'm like, what the heck? And he said, Joe, Joe, if you want results, you have to work with dogs. <laughs> humans are wild. Uh, humans are untrainable. Uh, you have to work with dogs if you want results. And I, I think he's right. Because I know a lot of times people will, like, you could reasonably ask me, at the end of the day, I'm sure I've done something stupid, right? What were you thinking? Right? I don't know. How would I expect to know what someone else is thinking? Part of community is accepting that the train wreck in us is present in others, and that sorrow we feel about it, and that confusion and pain, they got it too. And they don't need another person reminding them, they're not good at this. But they need a someone who's trying their best to be holy, and who sees in other people, I bet you're trying to be holy. I don't know what I don't know. But I know that especially in your job, if I may call it that, if they're working for the diocese, they're in it for the fight. They're in it to, to do the right thing. Could be anywhere. We had a guy give me a business manager. I, I kind of had a rack and I didn't know how to deal with it uh, at the parish, and, and it, it was a financial and a personnel mess. And I was like, two things I'm not good at. Yeah. Uh, so I called this guy in Lansing. You know Wesley, and he he had just put out that he had sent an email. He's retiring. Never tell me you're retiring. I will be at your house in five minutes with a list of what you're doing for Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so I called him, and I'm like, bro, I need help so bad. Right? Uh, this guy in his previous job was a six-figure guy, okay, uh, consistently. And he worked for us for, I think, $1.23. Uh, and then I made sure he tithed. <laughs> <laughs> personnel to try to because he's I have things I'm good at and things I'm not and so I focus on what Jesus made me for and growing on the other stuff yeah um, and him doing that her doing her job means I can do 10 hours of confession a week right that's what we average well not average that's what the schedule and we do we have to stop them right yeah every time we have to say God sorry we got mass that's what Jesus made me for. And this beautiful guy steps away from money into paying to work. Isn't that beautiful? How blessed are we?
means the person next to you is too. They're in it too. And in the same way that sometimes you get home and you go, oh, what was I thinking? They do too. And one of the best things we can be is that take this spiritual DNA and live that community well. I'm just going to give of myself. I'm going to give of myself. Um, so this community that's hardwired into us is a community of love and life, and you'll see it will create. It really will. It'll create all around you. What we want to do is to make sure that we're working on what Jesus gave us. Now, this is where we make this kind of jump that you might be thinking, well, what do we do about schools, right? Okay, this is great. Well, this is what we do about the schools. We get holy. Truly, think about it. That one saint can change everything. And if we, like uh, Matthew 5, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added to um, That we will strive not to, and I hope this doesn't sound too contemptuous, because I mean it was some contempt. Uh, we're not going to try this program. Because I'm telling you guys, I've been, I've been a teacher. We didn't need another program. We got programs galore. We needed saints. That's what we needed. And what I'll do, uh, how are we for time, brother? I don't have a sense of it. Anyone? 10.27. 10.27? <clears throat> okay, praise the Lord. We're doing great. Uh, yeah, okay. So what we need to do is commit to holiness and trust that from that will come more than anything else. Now, I want to give what's probably a hard example, and I sort of apologize, okay? Uh, but in our diocese, uh, we had a priest who had a lot of troubles, okay? A lot of troubles. Troubles with alcohol, troubles with his temper. Um, it was bad. And for years, God's people called out, help. Help. Help didn't really come until it got bad enough where he had to be removed. Yeah? So the next priest comes in and fires the whole lay staff. Right? And he talks to him first. He said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, they're a mess. Well, yeah, they are. We made them work with a horrible man for 10 years. They have adapted themselves to function in a dysfunctional system. Now, are you going to heal them? Or are you just going to throw them out? He threw them out. And that broke my heart. Can you imagine telling people that? Right? Hey, for 10 years, man, we bled because of this guy. Yeah, well, you're out of blood. We need to get rid of you. Yeah? That's how secular people do business. That's not how we minister. Now, of course, there's times we've got to let people go. I've let go of an obscene amount of people. And it kills me every time. I make sure they have a shot. 
that lasted at least as long as whatever dysfunction they learned to function within. Does this make sense? I can't tell. Yes. Okay. That part of the problem for me with our programs is they're modeled off of successful businesses instead of holy principles. I can make a parish successful, honestly. I think I can. I think. Give me the right folk. Uh, I can make a great business out of our parish. But I don't know how many people will love Jesus more when I'm done. I have no idea. There are so many beautiful people, priests and civilians in the church, who objectively might lack the skills that secular companies would require, but their holiness is so amazing, so amazing, that that's what works. That's what makes it grow. And so we look at the problems, right? We see all the dry bones, and then we take our eyes off them, because we know And we think about these beautiful tools our Lord has given us, and we just keep giving them to Him. We just keep giving them to Him. Lord, you see the problem. You probably see it better than me. Well, you see it better than me. Here's what I'm giving you. You gave it to me. I'm giving it back, and then He's going to give it back. It's the Trinity, right? That whole thing is how God works. And then we strive for personal holiness. Now, one member of the Trinity took flesh and walked among us. And uh, just, it's named, his name's Jesus. I'm just, I don't want to brag, I know this kind of stuff. But what we'll do next is take a look at Jesus' ministry on earth at three key things that, I mean, I think that express the Trinity in the person of Jesus. And how we can then look at those and go, okay, that's how I do it. I'm gonna lead like Jesus. And not worry so much about success, but worry about fidelity. Was I faithful? And then the next step after that, I kinda have a list of random tips where the Lord kinda smacked me around and helped me uh, grow and uh, uh, change hopefully uh, for the better. So, um, <clears throat> look, I'm so sorry. Hit me one more time with the time. I don't want to. 1031. 1031. 1031. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, so let's do this. Would you like a break? Do you yes. need a little break? Okay, groovy. So let's do this. Can we be back sitting at 1045? Is that okay or do you need more? You can tell me. I got a thumbs up. Oh, two thumbs up. Yeah. Motion is yes. Right. See you guys at 1045. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Is it over? No, it's never.